From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, Experience with a Femtosecond Laser, Part 1. If you assumed that your capsule was completely free and you just went in and just grabbed it and pulled it out, then it may have caused a very small anterior capsular tear. First this. This year's ASCRS annual symposium was great. I learned a lot that I'm applying to my practice right now. If I have any complaint, it's that I couldn't get to all the sessions I wanted to because some of them overlapped. That's why I'm so excited about the new ASCRS Media Center. More than 1,300 sessions from that meeting are now available through this great new resource. See what you missed or revisit the most interesting sessions. The Media Center is free to all meeting attendees. Stay tuned after the podcast for more information. I love science fiction. Did you know that long before the term science fiction was coined, the genre was known as speculative fiction? Well, I'm going to speculate a little here. In the future, cataract surgery will be performed without even touching the patient. The patient will be positioned near a high-tech machine that will use computer control to perform surgery in a non-tactile fashion. Okay, maybe it's not really speculative, because Jared Sutton is living in that future already. Dr. Sutton is an early adopter of the femtosecond laser and has just published a paper in ophthalmology about his early experience with this science fiction technology. And I'm excited to have him as my guest today. The interview was lengthy and compelling and will be presented in two parts. We'll hear part one today. Before we discuss the specific risks and benefits associated with a femtosecond laser, can you describe what the femtosecond laser looks like? I'm I'm used to eczema lasers. Are the ergonomics of the femtosecond laser similar? They're, they're, They're similar. The footprint of the femtosecond laser is a little bit smaller than the average eczema laser, but it's very similar to the femtosecond lasers that are used in uh, LASIK surgery, for example. So the ergonomics are similar in that you need a room, uh, that the uh, patient is lying on the bed and that the bed slides in underneath the laser. So in that respect, it is very similar. The way we have it in our practice is we have it in a separate room, which is about 20 to 30 feet away from the main operating theatre. And... um, you know, the way I do it is the same way I do a femtosecond LASIK procedure. I start off doing two femtosecond uh, cataracts um, to start off with, and then by the time I'm finished the second one, the first one is in the main operating theatre ready to go. Jared, how does the femtosecond laser work? Well, the femtosecond laser basically gets its power by delivering its energy over a very, very short space of time, so in very short pulses. A femtosecond is actually 10 to the minus 15 seconds. And by doing that in a very short period of time, what you end up is with some tissue vaporization, which produces a little gas bubble, which then separates the atoms without causing significant collateral damage. And that's how it works in both uh, LASIK surgery and in laser cataract surgery. Can I get you to walk me through a typical femtosecond laser procedure 
you know, from when, when the patient comes into the, the room with a laser to when, when, once I'm ready to put the lens in? Okay. Well, patient will come into the femtosecond laser room and will already uh, have topical anesthetic present. I don't give the patients any sedation prior to the femtosecond part of the surgery uh, because I want their cooperation. So they lay down on the bed and then I talk them through what I'm going to do. Uh, when they're lying on the bed, they'll see a series of lights and we get them to focus on those lights uh, in the Lens X machine, which is the one that I use, uh, there is a red fixation target for them. As they're lying there, I uh, put another drop of anaesthetic in, uh, use a speculum in all cases, and then I'll bring the laser with the use of a toggle uh, down towards the patient's eye. Now, the patient interface with the Lens X machine is a curved interface, and the patient will feel the pressure as it, uh, as it touches the surface of the eye. And one of the key steps in the laser procedure is ensuring that that contact is perpendicular to the corneal surface. Uh, once that um, I'm happy with the centration, then the pressure will increase. There'll be suction and the pressure will increase in the eye. And then you'll get the a video image on the user interface. And so you'll be able to see a two-dimensional um, picture of the eye and you can then set up where you wish to have your uh, rexus and the wounds. So the wounds can be shifted in, uh, to various angles and various lengths depending on uh, your preference. At that point, a, an OCT image will uh, come up on the other user interface and that will show you uh, where the capsular cuts are going to be, where you wish to have your lens fragmentation and where and in what pattern you wish to have your corneal wound. So it's, a, again, a two-dimensional two uh, image, but looking anteroposterior through the eye, and that allows you to set where you wish um, the laser to fire. Uh, the procedure itself uh, takes about 10 to 15 seconds, but it depends a little bit on what lens fragmentation pattern you're going to use. Uh, the pattern that I prefer now is a four-quadrant crack with a central circular ablation that allows me to core out the central nucleus before I make uh, a crack in the operating theatre. Once that's done, I put a drop of phenylephrine uh, 10% in. If I'm using a toric intraocular lens, then I will mark the 180 degrees uh, at the slit lamp. And then the patient is taken into the main operating theatre where they'll see the anaesthetist I will have a sedation in most cases, but not all, are done under topical anaesthetic. Once I get into the operating theatre, it's, it's a fairly similar approach to your standard phacoemulsification surgery. And what I like to do now is just use my rexus forceps to enter the wound to make sure it's complete. And then I will grab the capsule and just make sure that there are no micro-adhesions before removing it. Once I've done that, I then um, decompress the anterior chamber, so I remove the viscoelastic that I've put in, and then I do careful hydrodissection. Once the hydrodissection is done, I will then remove the central core in um, the sculpt set setting on the FACO machine, and then the uh, quadrant cracking is very, very easy after that. 
The rest of the procedure is identical to standard phaco emulsification. Let me ask this. What, what is it like when you phaco since part of the uh, lens has, has been broken up by the, by the femtosecond laser? Is it, is it just sort of like, like mush, like, like cortex that you're, that you're sucking in? Yeah, that's a good question. The answer, the short answer is no. Um, there are many different techniques or nuclear fragment um, programs that are being tried in the various laser platforms. Uh, you can actually um, have a setting where you divide the lens into just little balls that you can suck up. And I've used that um, setting for refractive lens exchange. But I find that it actually is not all that useful. So really what it's doing at this stage, in its, um, this early stage of its development, is it's providing the nuclear fragmentation for you. But you still require some phaco power and phaco energy to remove uh, the fragments. So at this stage, it's certainly not uh, creating a lens which is, um, can be purely aspirated, although I suspect that that's uh, where we may be heading in the future. I've seen videos of, of uh, femtosecond laser for cataract surgery, and it looks really cool. I mean, it's certainly really sci- science fiction-like. But, but I've always, you know, wondered, I, 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 I think that I'm pretty good at, at capsulorexis and at, at constructing wounds. What benefit does the femtosecond laser bring to a surgeon who already is experienced in cataract surgery? Well, I think that's, that's an excellent question, and it is, it is the question. It cuts to the key question about femtosecond uh, cataract surgery, really. And what you're really asking is, is the laser just a fancy can opener or does it have some real measurable benefits? And when you first see it or when you first do it, certainly the rexus is the most impressive aspect uh, of the surgery. And there is some early evidence from Zoltanagi's group that you know you can get a more precise rexus and that a more precise rexus can result in a more predictable, effective lens position. Um, but if you're asking, is there any evidence-based medicine at this point in the published literature which shows that using the femtosecond laser makes cataract surgery for an experienced cataract surgeon safer or more predictable, then the short answer is no. What question did your study seek to answer, Jared? What we were trying to do was to look at the safety of femtosecond cataract surgery. So in our setting, we, I think we got the certainly the first uh, femtosecond laser in the Southern Hemisphere. It may well have been the fourth commercial unit in the world. And so we set about trying to look at the safety parameters and especially during the learning curve. So this study, the study in ophthalmology, which has just recently been published, was the initial 200 cases in a group practice uh, of 10 surgeons. And we were specifically looking at issues such as um, suction loss uh, during the procedure, uh, whether or not we could complete the procedure in all cases, uh, whether we had to augment uh, the wound, whether or not there were uh, anterior capsular tags or tears, and of course, the most important ones, whether there were PC ruptures uh, or fragmentation loss. And to put that in perspective, we've now done over 1,500 cases and we're about to publish uh, the second chapter of our story, which is the subsequent 1,300 cases. And the results are quite different. But 
we felt that it was important to to identify what aspects of the learning curve we thought that were important and that needed and the techniques that needed changing and adjusting in order to flatten the learning curve uh, for other surgeons who are going to adopt the technology. Can I get you to describe the design of this study? Well, this is an ethics committee approved prospective consecutive, consecutive cohort study. What were your inclusion criteria? For, for example, how small could the dilated pupil be for the patient to be included in the study? Well, the dilated pupil um, needed to be at least five millimeters, uh, ideally five and a half. And during, even during this, uh, the first 200 cases, there were adjustments as to what we thought was the appropriate uh, capsular exercise. And I settled on five millimeters um, in the end, and that's what I, I currently do for all of uh, my laser cataract patients. But, you know, if the pupil doesn't go outside that five millimeter range, then you can't do the surgery. So that is an exclusion criteria. But basically, apart from that, every single one of the uh, patients that we performed laser cataract on were included in this learning curve paper. Now, since for the learning curve, you were looking at things like, like complications, what were your main outcome measures? What, what, what sort of complications typically can occur with a femtosecond laser? Well, in this, in this study, uh, we looked at not just um, the number of uh, significant complications, but also uh, issues such as suction loss in the docking, uh, docking part of the surgery. And we found a number of interesting things. Firstly, all surgeons uh, improved with time in terms of their capacity to uh, ensure suction and not have to you know, reapply suction in terms of the number of uh, anterior capsular tears that they had. And for those surgeons that did have um, PC ruptures, uh, also improved in that regard as well. But probably the most... Um, the significant thing that we found uh, was that there was a highly statistically significant difference between those uh, of us that had used a femtosecond laser for LASIK surgery and those surgeons that hadn't. And that was um, significant not just in terms of the technical aspects of docking the patient interface, but also in terms of the more significant complications of posterior capsular rupture. And, uh, and the drop nuclei. So what we hypothesized was that the surgeons who had used the femtosecond laser before, firstly, were much more familiar with the uh, docking the patient interface and therefore were more likely to get a perpendicular touch and less eye tilt. And this resulted in a cleaner uh, capsulotomy, a cleaner capsular cut. And secondly, we were aware that the femtosecond laser doesn't always cut cleanly uh, through tissue. And there can be variations in energy and uh, even on a day-to-day basis, you can see those variations. So I suspect that the three of us that were refractive surgeons um, were more sensitive to, uh, to the limitations, if I can put it that way, uh, of a femtosecond uh, laser. So when you talk about capsulotomy, what, uh, you, you, you mentioned in the context of the paper something called a, a free-floating capsulorexis. That, that, that's a, a capsulorexis that the result's perfect? Yeah, look, I mean, I think that that was something that was a bit of a surprise to me when I first started. I mean, I'd seen the video too, and when you watch the video, the, 
the capsule is just sitting there on the uh, lens cortex and it's completely free. And that's not always the case. And in fact, in the initial study, it was, I think, completely free uh, capsules were down as low at about, as about 20%. And about 80% would have been uh, almost free in that they would have had you know, maybe one or two micro adhesion. But that was one of the key findings of the study because if you assumed that your capsule was completely free and you just went in and just grabbed it and pulled it out, then there may, it may have caused a very small anterior capsular tear. And if that wasn't recognised, then during the course of the cataract surgery for some surgeons, they had issues where that radiated to the equator and in a couple of cases radiated um, posteriorly. So one of the things that we learnt was that in fact the, um, the capsulotomy sometimes uh, was not absolutely complete. Now, during this learning curve and subsequently, it wasn't just a learning curve for the 10 surgeons involved, it was also a learning curve uh, for the company, Alcon. And there were significant changes both in terms of the, the energy settings but also in terms of the software program. And during this period, they introduced um, a change to the software which um, allowed for ocular tilt. And by doing that, the percentage of free caps has increased significantly. And now really 80 to 90% of my caps would be free, completely free, or would have just one or two microadhesions. Well, we're on the subject of capsulotomy. You, you mentioned the presence of small uh, anterior capsular tags in, in some cases. How important are these tags? And, and do they tend to progress to radial tears? Yeah. yeah, the answer for the capsular tags is no. So when you have a tag, that is that there's a little bit of extra tissue which is, um, um, you know, coming over, um, you know, your perfect circle, that tends not to be a problem. It's the micro tears that you don't see or that are difficult to see which are potential problems. So it's that small anterior capsular tear that you may have rather than a tag, which I think is the problem. You describe... A, a, a posterior capsular rupture rate of 3.5%. When did these ruptures happen? Did, did, did they happen during the femtosecond laser portion of the, the procedure or later during FACO? Uh, none of the uh, PC ruptures uh, occurred during the femtosecond part of the surgery. So I, I know that that is a natural concern for anyone who is um, you know, firing a femtosecond laser into the eye. But that, has, that never happened. The offset from the posterior capsule um, is sufficient to prevent that problem. The PC ruptures occurred, and again in the, well, the less femtosecond experienced surgeons uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, the first one was anterior capsular tears that could radiate. But the one that we were most concerned about was when there were two cases of a capsular block syndrome. And we published this last year as an expedited publication because there was, uh, I was certainly concerned that this may be a complication that was, um, um, uh, the risk of which was increased with the femtosecond laser. But I don't believe that that's the case. These cases, I think, occurred because of, um, if I can put it this way, overzealous uh, hydro dissection. And certainly, if care is taken to decompress the anterior chamber, with careful hydro dissection, 
then you know we have not seen um, any further episodes uh, of capsular block syndrome in the subsequent uh, 1500 cases. So I think that you know a couple of the cases were simply uh, PC ruptures with cortical removal, uh, which would be similar to a normal phaco emulsification procedure. But certainly, you know, no cases, um, no PCs were ruptured uh, because of the femtosecond laser um, whacking the posterior capsule. I tried actually to recreate that. I set up a Miyake system and uh, we were videoing the, uh, the femtosecond laser uh, from underneath the Miyake uh, system and it was actually very, very difficult to break the posterior capsule with the femtosecond laser. Now, just to be clear to the listeners, the Miyake system is a system in, in which the lens is uh, videoed from the posterior aiming up towards the surgeon. Correct. That's correct. So we set that system up because um, I was concerned that the capsular block syndrome was occurring because of the um, production of gas by the femtosecond laser, that that was getting locked into the bag. Sure. And that when the, when the hydrodissection occurred, that that was increasing the pressure within the, um, the capsular bag and that was then rupturing. Um, so we were deliberately trying to fire a lot of laser into these cadaver lenses and to get it as close as we could to the capsule. And it was very difficult to actually rupture the capsules. Jared Sutton is professor of corneal and refractive surgery at the Sydney Medical School Foundation, the SaveSight Institute at Sydney University, and the Vision Eye Institute in Sydney, Australia. His paper, Early Experience with a Femtosecond Laser for Cataract Surgery, appears in the May 2012 issue of Ophthalmology. Here's some additional information about the new ASCRS Media Center. Almost all of the 2012 ASCRS ASOA meeting was audio and video recorded, and there are now more than 1,300 sessions featuring almost 1,000 speakers available online. You can view the general sessions, ASCRS paper sessions, symposia, films and posters, plus select courses and ASOA sessions on business management. It's essentially the entire meeting, anytime you want, and it's all available through the new ASCRS Media Center. If you attended the meeting, your Media Center access is free. If you're a current ASCRS or ASOA member but didn't attend, you can still see everything that you missed for the member price of $199. If you're not an ASCRS member, you can still purchase the Media Center, or better yet, Join us and get the lower member price. To view the 2012 meeting through the Media Center, visit the ASCRS website at www.ascrs.org. If you're already a member, log in first and then click the Media Center link. If you're a guest, just click the Media Center link at the top of the page. From there, you can purchase the Chicago 2012 package or, better yet, Join the ASCRS and receive the discounted member price. Ask questions of Dr. Sutton or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. 
These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jungmd at gmail.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.